Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. And as always, I'm joined by the great man, Steve Harmison, for the usual busy show. We'll discuss Stuart Broad's comments about his England admission and we'll be joined by former England batter Jonathan Trott as he lands a new role at Warwickshire. As well as that, we'll be joined by England fast bowler Tamal Mills after he signed with the Mumbai Indians in the IPL. And we'll hear from Rajasthan Royals CEO Jake Lashmakram as he looks back at this uh, the last weekend's mega auction. So plenty to fit in over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Well, news of uh, Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson's omission from the England Test Match squad is news that is not fading. It's not going away. And uh, Stuart Broad did nothing to stop the fanning of the flames with his Mail on Sunday column in which he said that he wakes up every morning increasingly angry and still confused about his omission. And I have to say that the general feedback has been that he's got a very good point. Army, it's... It's news that is not fading away, is it? No, it was never going to as well with Stuart having the newspaper columns. We've not heard from Jimmy yet, but I think by all accounts, Jimmy's even worse than Stuart. So, and they've got a good right to be. I think Jimmy is rich and he's climbing the walls. So, and he's, uh, they've got every right to be. The, the amount of professionalism they've, they've done, the dedication, I'll say sacrifice, but then people will throw at me, yes, they've been well paid. At that, forget being well paid. They've tried to be the best professionals they possibly can be over the course of the last 15, 20 years. Um, and that comes with sacrifice, but also the plaudits that they've getting with it. And he says every morning he wakes up and he's confused and he doesn't know what, what's going on. I wake up thinking every morning, thinking, how on earth have they come to this conclusion that the course of action should be after winning one game in 14? Test matches that you leave Broad and Anderson out. You don't even take them. Is just is baffling, and and they've got every right to be. And I used this I used this comparison the other day, and I wasn't sure if I was fair or not. But I'm going to use it again. When I look at during the last two Test matches, we had John Lewis, England's bowling coach, a member of England's ma- uh, management staff, come out and slag off one of the players for being not professional in Ollie Robinson. And then you don't take two professionals who are the ultimate professionals in standards, in the way they live their life and the way they play on the field. I don't know how they've come to this this conclusion because who makes that decision? Is it Strauss? Well, why is Strauss going to make that decision? He's got three test ma- he's got three test matches as interim seed or director of cricket. Collingwood, he's got three test matches as interim coach. Taylor who it w- probably will still be in a job long long term. Root, because he's England captain, and he is staying long term. But the thing with Joe Root is, he said at the end of Australia, he expects to see Broad and Anderson in the West Indies. So how they've come to this conclusion, I have got no idea whatsoever. The one thing I will say is, the likes of Saki Mahmood and Matt Fisher, who are going on the trip, I think would have benefited hugely by rubbing shoulders with the two great greats of our game. 
Well, thanks, Harmi. And on that note, um, we're joined, as promised in the introduction, live on the line by um, new Warwickshire assistant coach, Jonathan Trott, and uh, former England great, of course, batting at number three. So anyway, <laughs> Trotty, yeah. uh, before we get on to your, your new job, and uh, you, like everybody else, will have been caught blindsided, I suppose, by the omission of uh, Broad and Anderson. And I guess you'll, you'll want to pick your words carefully, but uh, your thoughts? It does look strange. When you look at any England squad, certainly nowadays a test squad, and you don't see the likes of Anderson or Broad, and certainly at the top, they're normally A and B, they're at the top of the list. And so it does look very weird. It feels a little bit strange. And I think um, the selectors have, have made a, an interesting call. How it plays out, I'm very interested to see. I like all other England supporters or people have played for England. And when you make it such a big decision like that, you hope it pays off in, in whatever way they're looking for it to happen. Feelings wise, I think they played really well. They bowled well in Australia. They're, they're, you know, the two of them were up there um, with regards to ability wise, fitness wise. They certainly were. Um, and so it, it does feel strange. Uh, and, and it'll be interesting to see the reasoning behind it. And, and I, I hope it's, it's a clear and uh, a very thought out process. Um, but I, I, whenever those two, certainly my, I know personally and professionally, when those two are confronted with a challenge, uh, they always rise to the top. So I think we'll see them back. Do you expect to see them back? Do you expect them to see them come back and play, not just for Notts and Lancashire? But do you expect yes. Ron Anderson, as you know them, to come back and play for England? Yes, absolutely. They will see this as a challenge. They're characters. Throughout their careers, they would have been confronted with different challenges, fitness-wise, performance-wise, conditions wise and this will be another challenge for those two guys you don't go and play 150 test matches if you don't like a challenge if you don't have the bit between your teeth or want to constantly prove people wrong the way that those two guys have performed throughout their careers they will see this as a challenge and, and it's, it's up to them whether they want to whether they want to go on but I think they physically can go on and I expect to see them back so putting your Warwickshire assistant coach's hat on, you don't want to see Broder Henderson playing for Lancashire in knots at the start of the season, do you really? I've, I, I've had a look at the knots uh, and the Lancashire fixtures. So uh, when we get closer to April, I'll be looking a lot closer and giving them a little call. Say, ah, you're looking good. You don't need to play the next game. Don't worry, buddy. Um, but um, you hope it doesn't, this isn't the end for them. You, you, they deserve, and I'm not going to say you deserve better, but it's in the game of cricket. Nobody's got a given right for anything. You always earn whatever you're given. But these two guys have been amazing for England and, and it'd just be sad if they decided that, you know, it wasn't for them to carry on. I don't think it will be. I think we'll see them back performing well for England and uh, whenever they're ready to call it a day, they will. Toddy, um, the reset of the England test team, um, it has been said with, with good reason that the two things that didn't need resetting were Broad and Anderson and Joe Root batting at four. Um, one of the subjects that we wanted, Harmi and I wanted to... to delve into your brain about is the difference between batting three and four. Um, and, it, you know, we always had the impression that Joe Root needed to be strongly persuaded the times he has batted three in the past. And we're told now by Andrew Strauss that he didn't just volunteer. He actively pursued a promotion up to number three in the batting order. And that's a position you occupied with great success for many years. What, what do you think motivated that change for, for Joe? I think what it does is it allows, because he's obviously England's best player, that it allows other people to come in and, and get used to playing international cricket at four, five, and six. Whereas before, normally the top three would be inexperienced. We have a bit more experience at the top. I always felt that your best player generally batted at four. Sometimes in the case of Ricky Ponting, he batted at three because they had the power like they did at four, five, and six. Whereas Joe could literally choose where he wanted to bat because of the, 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 the options and the const, constant changing of players. Interesting. To, well, who's going to back four now? That's the interesting thing for me. Who steps in his place? You know, sometimes you don't want to just, put, you know, fill a gap somewhere. There's got to be a reason behind it. Um, I like the fact that he wants to to do it. He's certainly good enough. And you always felt batting at four as captain. You, you give yourself a little bit of a break. You come off the field and you have a bit of a chance to uh, freshen up or, you know, take a bit of a break. But recently he's been in quicker than, you know, uh, you would have liked. So batting three or four. I like the responsibility he's taken on, and I think he's well more than capable of doing, exceeding, um, you know, all expectations of, of what's needed for number three. The thing for me is he's done so well at four, um, and if he, he hadn't done it as well as he had in the last year or so, the, the way that he's played, then I'd say, yeah, maybe a change. But I just, you know, if it's not 
broke, there's no point of you know fixing it. And I just think we need to find players who, who can bat it in the top four um, and have that constant, you know, that not that constant sort of changing of openers or three or four. And to talk about Jonathan Trott, the new assistant coach of, of Warwickshire. You've been in and around England setups. You've been around mm-hmm. other national team setups. Is this you giving yourself a chance to have some time, a long period of time coaching at a club with the view that Jonathan Trott, the coach, will will sort of benefit in the next year to come of getting back into a, an England setup more full time. Well, yeah, you know that, that there's always been the, the case of spending the odd time here here and there with England and, and and popping in when certain coaches have had a bit of a break or there's been a gap or squads have overlapped. So, so that's been fantastic. I've been on three or four Lions tours as well, which so so well adverse with regards to the ECB and the way that it operates. And Andrew Strauss is going to be uh, obviously a little bit different, probably not too dissimilar to the way that it was before, but whoever the new coach is and whoever decides on who they want around. So um, spending a bit of time at Warwickshire, um, you know, having been away, went and finished playing and, and, and went down to Kent for a season and then unfortunately COVID hit. So I was with Warwickshire last season uh, and I spent a bit of time with World, uh, Scotland at their T20 World Cup campaign. Um, so I had quite a bit of experience. So now having the continuity at Warwick is, uh, is really good. And, um, you know, hopefully we can build on the championship success that uh, I was lucky to be a part of uh, last year. So, uh, you know, the future is pretty bright, but uh, all the other counties will be chasing us. So we, we got to make sure that we're, uh, you know, on, on the pulse of it all and, and, and ready for the, the summer starting against Surrey in April. Trotty, um, you would have seen the comments from your director of cricket, Paul Farbrace, a couple of weeks ago or maybe a month ago, fascinating, about coaching and methods of coaching and perhaps a, a lack of specific technical coaching at, at county level, at senior level. Sure. Um, and it perhaps it's become more inclusive and not quite... Um, well, uh, n- not quite firm enough, I suppose, when it comes to technique. What, what did you think of those comments at the time? And is there some truth in them? I certainly agree that there's some truth in those. I think that nowadays, I think we play as a, the, the saying of all, you know, that's the way that you play or that's the way that he plays. Sometimes I think it doesn't fit. I think sometimes as, as a coach, it's our responsibility to have conviction in what we think is a, as a as a uh, as a coach or uh, from my experiences as a player and obviously as a coach now and what we've seen and, and what we see and what we know that works i think as a coach you got to have belief in yourself and that and not worry about um finger pointing and and things that go on whether you help a, a, a player and you change things of it and whether that doesn't work or not sometimes you're a bit scared to to because then you're accountable for for things that you've now uh told a player or maybe he could change and if it doesn't work instantaneously sometimes you have a finger you're worried about fingers being pointed at you so as a coach you've got to put that to the back of your mind and believe what you're doing is for the player is for their benefit or for the side's benefit and I think as coaches we can't shy away from that you've got to be able to especially from a younger age teach the basics really well the one thing for me I would like to see younger players obviously introduction of white ball cricket and the and the and the lure of of white ball and t20 franchises around the world it's just helping young players set up their game to bat for long periods of time and what's going to serve them well doing the basics continuously is what is needed i think and will i think in the long run help players develop their white ball skills as well um i think at the moment we'd like to see this you know just white ball focus and hitting sixes i think nowadays we're seeing a lot of school cricket, a lot of T20 cricket being played at school. Kids are learning to try and hit a six before they can block out a maiden or, or bat for a period of time. So as a coach, you have different challenges now to say different generations. Um, so that's what that's the interesting thing for me as a coach and what I enjoy the most. And two people that are at Warwickshire who are intriguing to me, um, one bats for a long period of time. And I thought what he did in this winter was brilliant. He decided not to go on the Lions, Tom Sibley, wanted to work at his game, thought this was the best way for him to get better and then come back, hopefully, and knock on the test door again. Um, and young Rob Yates, there, Rob Yates, who had a fantastic, got great numbers, fantastic year, possibly unlucky not to go ahead of Alex Lees to the Caribbean. First of all, Dom, is he has he ironed out a few technical things that he's working on? 
because the temperament and run scoring and batting for long periods of time, I don't think there's any question there. Um, and whereas young as Yates at now, if the two openers in, in England and the Caribbean don't go caught in the plan. Dom certainly uh, has worked on a few things and, and trying to iron out those things that perhaps crept in. Uh, we all know with regards to test cricket, the scrutiny you can go under. So that's always going to be the challenge for Dom is to handle that scrutiny. His technique is a little bit different or is not as what you would say classical with regards, but is very, very effective when he gets it in, you know, when he plays the way that he can and what got him into playing for the England side. So just ironing out a few things that maybe crept in and is hitting the ball really well. We had, we'd, we've been working, uh, you know, since the beginning of the year. Technically, he's been working at his game and is, is looking really, really good. You know, this is all indoor as well. Um, so the ball's not really nipping around as much as it will be in April. And I'm very excited to see him play. With regards to not going on the Lions tour, and I said to him, you want to make sure that you're there. Because if you go into on the Lions tour, I was actually for him going on the Lions tour and that he was there. He was in the window. If he did well on the Lions tour, then he could get back into the West Indies. And I think he felt, which is credit to him as well, he's very strong in, in his beliefs that, you know, I, I need maybe five months. I don't want to then get back to international cricket when I'm perhaps not ready. I want to make sure that my game is, you know, completely rounded and I'm ready to get back thrown in, not tech, not necessarily for the technical challenge, but also the, the mental side of the game and being strong enough and confident enough to be able to handle the pressures of international cricket. So, Full credit to him and, and really pleased with the way that he's going. With Rob, another very exciting young player and, and very, very close as well, I'm sure, to, to that uh, to that test tour. But uh, I'm excited for him to have another season of first-class cricket, get to know his game a bit more before he goes, hopefully, into that international stage, which I'm sure he will do at some stage. And it's about hopefully being in the right form and, and, and you know, in the right place with his game when he does. Because as we know, as an opening batter, there's not more places that are as testing, if you like, when you go into international cricket. So he will get his game in good order and hopefully scores heavily, you know, in April and May. Finally, Trotty, um, back to the Bears. Uh, when um, Mark Robinson was appointed as head coach, uh, Harmy and I both said we felt that given his success and achievements, he was uh, one of those coaches who strangely wasn't given the credit that uh, he, he deserved. But with Fabi as director of cricket and, and, and Mark Robinson and yourself and the coaching set up a mm. really good quality uh, squad of players, many of whom are, mm. you know, the, the sort of the right side of 25, you know, they've got many yeah. of their best years ahead of them. It's got to be really bright times at Edgebaston. Yeah, I mean, we're lucky and we've got some exciting players. I think we have a great balance with the guys to our side and guys like Danny Briggs who've come in and filled the role of Cheetan Patel who's been a stalwart at the club or youngsters stepping up now and scoring runs. We've got the under-19 England cap captain uh, Bethel who's an exciting young player. Dan Marsley as well as exciting young batsman. So we've got players coming through and Ollie Stone coming back from injury um, and it's a big year for Henry Brooks as, as well. I, I think is um, an exciting seamer who's had a few injuries um, and hopefully can you know get back to where he was a few years ago. And Liam Norwell as well is is um, non-travelling reserve for the the West Indies tour who impressed on the Lions trip. So competition for place is always going to be healthy come early April, and that's what you want as a, as a coach. You want guys pushing themselves and pushing each other. Trotty, have a fantastic season. Um, enjoy enjoy the pre-season. It must be great uh, watching the guys flog themselves indoors rather than having to do it yourself. <laughs> Correct. There's nothing better than watching people warm up. It is the best feeling in the world. <laughs> yeah. You get to stand and watch them warm up. <laughs> I agree. I agree to that. Oh, I love that. I love watching a, people warm up. It's brilliant. That's the best thing ever. The hey, anguish on it. You could, you could go up to them and say, listen, I want you to raise your intensity and warm up, please. You, you're a bit lackadaisical there. Don't be like me. <laughs> Do as I see, not as I did. <laughs> exactly. All right. Cheers, Fantastic. guys. Great seeing you. Cheers, and, uh, thanks, thanks for the chat. And a reminder, you can hear all three chess matches between the West Indies and England live and exclusive here on TalkSport 2. Right, as promised, Timal Mills has joined us live on the line to uh, look back, not just at his... Um, personal success in the auction if that's what being bought is called is that success I suppose it is especially when uh, you see those eye-watering numbers Timur how did you find out first of all um where, where where were you were you were you watching it live I was um watching on on my phone so I've just been up in York for the weekend visiting some mates and we'd been out for breakfast and as you know the the auction's a, a long process you don't know exactly when you're going to uh, pop up um, but I, I knew it was by the time it got close to me we were just 
wandering through York City Centre, uh, chucking it down, and yeah, I just pulled up the, the stream on my phone, and me and my mates just huddled around, huddled around my phone, and, and yes, to, just to see if I ended up getting picked up somewhere, and yeah, fortunately I did. How exciting, Mumbai Indians! Not Jofra this year, but I'm sure yeah, you'll be around. What a, what a mouthful and prospect that is for batsmen at the end of a day, at the end of a 2020 game. Jofra Archer, Jasper Bumra, and Timal Mills. <laughs> yeah, as you say, it's. Um, I'm looking forward to getting out there. Yeah, looking forward to playing with Bumra, one of the one of the, kind of the great bowlers in the world at the moment. So looking forward to learning a bit off him. And yeah, obviously, I'm sure, as you say, I'm sure Joff will come out at some point. Um, I don't think he's going to be available to play, but I don't know what exactly his schedule is. But um, yeah, look, down the line, if I if I can get retained for next year, hopefully, um, yeah, the three of us can can get out there together and hopefully put on a show. But I'm um, looking forward to this year first and foremost. Tim, what were the other stories that uh, struck you? I mean, there's um, Liam Livingston going for uh, over a million pounds to the, the Punjab Kings. Um, they were a couple of very surprising misses as well, weren't there? Owen Morgan and David Milan not signed. But who, who else um, caught your eye? Benny Howell picking up a contract. That, was, uh, that pleased some of us who are fans of the unusual. Yeah, definitely. Benny's obviously been a really strong performer in England for a while and there's a list, the link, sorry, with, uh, so Punjab had Dan Weston, who's the analyst for the Birmingham Phoenix and also the the team that picked up Benny in the T10 recently. So Dan obviously managed to, to get his guy there as well. So yeah, as you say, it's great when guys get opportunities that maybe haven't had them so far. You get to get to see where they're at. Um, as you mentioned, Livy, he's been, you know, the last 12 months, he's been an absolute superstar. I've, I've been bowling at him in various leagues for the last year and um, it's, it's it's very difficult. So uh, yeah, it's great to see him get, get a big deal. But as always, uh, some guys miss out. Often kind of overseas spin bowlers uh, just aren't in demand as much as as um, as others as fast bowlers for example just because there are just so many spinners in India so it's unfortunate for those guys but um you know I've I've been on on both ends of the of the, of the spectrum in terms of obviously getting bought for a lot back back then I've been bought for for a lesser amount this time and I've also gone unsold a, a couple of times the last few years as well so it is what it is you just got to put your name in there and hope for the best sometimes and go back to your experiences of IPL and and dressing rooms you played with some, obviously, England are a fantastic white ball side, 50 overs and T T20 side. You're going into the ultimate T20 side, aren't you, really? When you look at it, the amount of times the Mumbai Indians have won the IPL, the players that they've got, what you what are you looking forward to most and who are you looking forward to rubbing shoulders with? Because you've, you know, you've rubbed shoulders with the good and the grit from an English point of view, but now this is... You know, it's different when you go into the likes of you know, Rohit Sharma, Kieran Pollard and all these players who have been you know, serial winners in the T20 format of the game, especially in the IPL. Yeah, for sure. And you're right, look, back when I played at RCB, we had Chris Gale, Virat Kohli, A.B. de Villiers, Shane Watson. And to be honest, I was, I was quite young. I was, I was only about 24, 25. I was, I was probably a bit naive to it all, to be honest. I kind of just went in there and wasn't too fussed by it. Um, I don't think I will be now. I think it's important that like, I'm an overseas player. I'm one of, well, seven if Joff doesn't come. I'll be one of seven overseas players. Quite a lot of responsibility there. Like, I'm 29 now. I've played international cricket. I've played all around the world. I'm, I'm going to hopefully look to go out there and be kind of one of the leaders within within the bowling group. Um, try and offer any any information, any experience that I can. But yeah, you're right. Obviously going to be playing with Rohit Sharma, Kieran Pollard. I've, I've played with in the Pakistan Super League. So I know Polly relatively well. You know, Surya Kumar Yadav, Ishan Kishan, some there's some really big names within within the side. Um, and it's, look, it's just about how well we gel as a team. Obviously, all the teams have had to restart with the new auction cycle, new auction cycles. So there's not many, many guys kind of from previous regimes. Obviously, the Pandya brothers, for example, have have gone elsewhere now. So um, yeah, it's just a, a case of whenever we we get out there, kind of forming that continuity and and uh, gelling as a team before the first game. Well, just on the process of the auction itself, it's quite brutal, isn't it? It's quite ruthless. I mean, you know, you're you're you're, you're commoditized like a like a meat market, like a butcher shop. Um, you, you know, that, I must. I mean, I wonder sort of how Jason Roy feels about going for not that two hundred thousand pounds is not a lot of money, but he you know, looks at other openers and thinks, "Am I really worth four times less than him, or <laughs> five times?" Do you know what I mean? It's um. I mean, there are lots yeah. of things that are out of your control as as players, 
and, and then, of course, you know, all the guys that go unsold and they must go through a period, especially the sort of younger ones with great ambitions. They might sort of go through a period of feeling, well, I'm not valued. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm clearly worthless because that's what my value was in the auction. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. And um, you have to you have to be careful with your mindset, as you say, if you start looking at it and comparing yourself to others and how much they've earned compared to how much you've earned or if you haven't been fortunate enough to get a contract at all, it can you know be a bit demoralizing and potentially a bit damaging to kind of your your mental state going out there. Uh, but yeah, the auction is a funny one, you know, where where you come up in the auction can completely dictate how much how much you end up going for or, or even within your group. So they so, for example, you come out in groups of 10, there's 10 bowlers, 10 batters, wicket keepers, but then within that 10, it's random. So if all the teams, for example, are waiting for a particular player and that player doesn't come out until 8th, ninth, 10th of that lot, then those a lot of those first guys will end up getting unsold. I think it happened in the wicket keepers. I think they were all waiting for Ishan Kishan to come up and he went for one of the biggest, if not the biggest amounts in the whole auction. But as a result, all those wicket keepers that came before him went unsold because they obviously nobody wanted to, to buy a wicket keeper and then not need them. So, um, yeah, it's, it is a bit of a lottery, unfortunately. Um, you've got to hope you come up at the right time with certain teams having... You know, certain amount of money left, and yeah, ultimately you can't, you can't. As a player, you've just got to sit back and watch and hope for the best. You've just explained more to me about the auction than anybody else in the last ten years. That was the most insightful <laughs> thirty seconds. That's absolutely incredible. Well, there you go. You're welcome. Back to you, the way where you are at this minute in time. How did you feel the West Indies went? Body, um, performance. Um, and between now and IPL starting, what's the plan? Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. To, to be honest, obviously, the, I didn't, I didn't have the results that I wanted in the um, in the recent series in in Barbados. Got a little bit of tap, but you got to you got to keep it within context. I think you were you were obviously out there yourself, Harmy. It was relatively small ground. All the all the all the wickets, apart from the first game, all the pitches were pretty good for batting there was a breeze pretty strong breeze going across one way which which helped batters as well and obviously the West Indies have got uh, one of the more formidable batting lineups so you have to keep it within context to be honest I was maybe flagging a little bit I've, I've been away all winter played in the World Cup then straight stayed for the T10 then flew to Australia for the Big Bash and yeah I think maybe I was just just kind of on the downward curve a little bit just in terms of freshness like body, body feels fine no injuries to speak of touch wood which is nice but yeah, it's been a long winter, so it's, it's nice now. I'm well. I say it's nice. It's absolutely hammering it down at the moment. In hope, I'm just uh, I'm just sat in my car having trained. But um, don't, yeah, don't got... ask manners what don't ask manners what temperature it is where he is. Please. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's have... having to switch his aircon off. It's 32 degrees. <laughs> yeah, it's not happening here. But um, yeah, I've got a nice block at home now, which is nice. I had a, I had an opportunity to go to the PSL, but I decided to to turn it down and. A, spend some time with my young family. I've got a young daughter and, and a wife who, who needs some help. Um, you know, as you know, when you're away from home for a long time, it, it affects more than, than just us as players. So spend some time at home, which is nice. And then also take the chance to just come out of bowling. So kind of the plan is to have three weeks off bowling. I'm halfway through that at the moment. Get back in the gym, get back doing some strength work, some running work, and then build the bowling back up. We've got the marquee up here at, at Sussex. So I'm able to bowl outside, which is which is perfect. So I'm not in the indoor school. And then, yeah, I'll have kind of two and a half, three weeks uh, of training here at Hove uh, to get ready for, for the IPL and hopefully be fresh as well, obviously. It's probably going to be in a bubble in Mumbai, from what I'm hearing. And you know, I've spent a lot of the winter in bubbles. And if if I would have if I would have gone to Pakistan, that would have been another three weeks in a in a hotel bubble. So those are the things you've got to be mindful of. Um, so yeah, look, I'm I'm feeling good now, and hopefully, come what another yeah four weeks time, I'll be I'll be raring to go and, and heading out to Mumbai. Enjoy the time off, Timur. It's going to be a fantastically busy and exciting year. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. It was Timel Mills joining us uh, live after training. Harmy, your thoughts on the auction? I mean, what did you, what, what how do you think you would have uh, coped mentally with the idea of uh, of putting yourself in the shop window and then possibly being rejected? Or at your peak, you know, you would have had maybe thoughts of banking a million quid, <laughs> and yeah, then would have been <laughs> would have been nice. I don't know, to be honest. I've had a conversation, a couple of conversations with, obviously, with Mark Wood about playing in the IPL. And and, and I, I've always said, if 
if somebody wants to pay that money for you, then as a fast bowler, this is the difference. You know, Tim Mills just said there, obviously spin bowlers aren't that high in demand, but fast bowlers are. So there's a, vol- there's a, there's a value of that. And I think my opinion would be that my value would be high. And if my value was picked up because somebody wanted me to go and wanted me, you know, like you say, it was a meat market. The commodity is there. If they want you, they have to pay for you. And then it's probably the one time you do play the game for money. I always said at the end of my career, I should have retired in 2009. should never have played for Durham for the three years I did because I resented the game by the end. I wasn't enjoying it. I was purely playing for financial reward. Now, the financial part of the game was, was something that I had a contract. I fulfilled it because I didn't have anything else to go into as such. I should have left the game in 2009 and went because I was playing for the love of the game. But I don't think you play for the love of the game when you go to the IPL, largely because you could change teams every two years. You could play for different franchises. So from that point of view, it'll probably be the only time you play for money. But you then you then have to have the the other balancing act of well, if I'm going to be aware after being in a bubble with my international team and the cricket I've been playing around the world, I need a high value because of the fast bowler I am, and I think. That's what I. That's the where I'd have probably looked at it. And if somebody didn't take me for that price, well, then I had that time off, and that would be the way I, the way I, the way I would have looked at it. But I would have loved the challenge of playing in the IPL. I love the challenge of playing against some of these these fantastic players from all around the world. And I think we've seen we've seen a glimpse in the West Indies that players who are very very good franchise players. There's still another step again when it comes to international cricket. As good as the IPL is. We've seen again, it is still an, another level of playing international cricket. And I think that's the challenge between going from franchises to the international circuit. Final thought, maybe we haven't mentioned Liam Livingston enough. If you were to have got a computer program to design the perfect prototype T20 player, you might well have ended up with a, a big, powerful, six-hitting right-handed batter who bowls leg spin to right-handers and off-spin to left-handers. So maybe it's not a surprise he went for over a million quid. No, I'm not surprised. Um, I think it's brilliant. I'm really pleased for Liam Livingston for the simple fact he, he, he didn't go for a lot of money last year. He came out of the bubble because he was struggling from a mental point of view. Plus, I think he wanted to set a challenge for himself to play for Lancashire and potentially play for England. So... From that point of view, again, a bit like we talked about Jonathan Trott earlier about Dom Sibley, having a clear plan of what your career path is. But then since then, his career path has gone on the up and up, especially in T20 cricket. And it doesn't surprise me he's gone for the the, the over £1.1 million, million pound. I'm chuffed a bit for the lad. He deserves it because the way he's performed for England. And I hope he goes over there and he's the best player in the tournament because we want our best players to come back and and, and, and really have a good tournament because... It only benefits it only benefits English cricket in the long run, and and I'm, and I'm pleased for for Liam. I'm pleased for Mark Wood that he got a, a big contract as well, and also Johnny Bairstow. I'm pleased for Johnny as well because he was in the bracket of non-test contract as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm chuffed for them too as well because that's just a little reward for sticking at the game and making sure that you know they keep their standards high, um, and they've been rewarded with. I mean, a chance to not only play in the to go to the IPL for good money. They're actually going to play at the, at the franchises they're at. I don't think there's any question that Liam Livingston, Mark Wood, and uh, Johnny Besto will not be in the first eleven and one of the four overseas players at the franchises they are. So that's good for English cricket as well. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. A reminder that you can hear all three tests, by the way, between the West Indies and England, live and exclusive, right here on Talksport Two. Um, you're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with the Institute of Cricket. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? 
Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago... If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can, as always, download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm delighted to say, as promised at the top of the show, we're joined live uh, from India by uh, the chief executive of the Rajasthan Royals, Jake Lashmakram. Jake, um... It's a mega auction. It was a mega auction in every sense of the word. I mean, it was it was televised live. People who don't follow cricket particularly strongly have been in touch with me saying, are you serious? Did they televise the, the auction live for two days? I mean, it is a massive, massive event. I would imagine it's quite draining on, on those of you who had to sit through it for two days. Yeah, absolutely. I think two days on now and I'm still struggling slightly to, to get back to to full fitness um, in terms of mind, body, and soul. But um, it was a lot of work that went into it. We spent um, seven days in quarantine to ensure we were safe coming before the auction. So that was, you know, with Kumar, Zubin, Giles, myself, every sort of precaution was taken. And through that period, you're running 20 simulations. You're doing various, you know, analyses on the various players, debating priority lists. And then on the auction day itself, as you say, it's sort of the full day. Once the day's, the first day's over, back in the meeting room for, for the second day um, and you're there till about 2 a.m. just finalizing all your plans. So it's draining. I think it's, it's been live in India sort of every every year since the start, but this was the first year Sky Sports bought the rights to show it in the UK. Um, and I think it was well worth the money they spent because it, um, it was an amazing day of action, I thought. Jake, uh, everybody sets out, all the 10 franchises set out with their their ideal. Um, I, I guess, you know, they. You, I guess you all have a list of, of 20 or so players, um, what um, percentage would you give yours? How how much did the squad shape up as you hoped it might? I think in a mega auction, you, you've got to be flexible. So you've got priority lists for every role. And so, you know, did we get one of the top two in each of the roles we were looking to fill? Yes. Um, and so I think that was that was really, really good for us. Um, we, we actually over-exceeded in some areas. Um, being able to get Ashwin and Yuzi Chahal, um, we weren't expecting to get both. So that gives us for sure the best uh, spin contingent in, in the league. And we were able to build a really, really strong Indian core with, with Devda. We've obviously got Sanju, Jaiswal in the side, Prashid Krishna, Saini, um, and, and many more. So look, we were really happy with what we were able to achieve and the flexibility in there. We were looking to, to get players at value. And so you'd have three or four players for a role. And if the player was undervalued, you'd secure that early because then that would give you clarity for the rest of the auction as to where you could spend some money. Some of the franchises saved quite a lot, missed the first three or four lots, and then they got pushed up later with the likes of Sharon Khan and Raul Tavati going for nine pros. So we were keen, if there was value early on, to secure those quality players, um, which would help us in the back end. There are so many storylines, Jake. Um, you know, you look at every squad and, you know, there's half a dozen really strong stories um, in all of them. I guess one that has caught the attention of, of observers is... Um, the unification of Joss Butler and, and R. Ashwin after their little um, their little mancad episode a, a, a little while ago. Is that all water under the bridge? Do they have a laugh about it now? Yeah, absolutely. I think you probably saw the videos on social media the day after. Um, look, they're both winners and, and they're both delighted to be in the squad with each other because they're both world-class world individuals. So, you know, I, I met Ashwin yesterday, actually. He's just excited to, to be playing with Joss because 
you know, they both want to win the championship. So I think, you know, quality respects quality. Um, and they've had a bit of humour around it as well. So we're looking forward to getting them together and winning many matches together. Last year, of course, Ben Stokes, Joffre Archer, Joss Butler, that trio caught the attention of, of, of a global audience. Uh, it didn't work out. A sense of disappointment that, uh, that Ben and Joffre are no longer part of the Royals family? Absolutely. Um, we faced challenges over the last four years around injuries and availability. We felt if we could have had them all there, um, fully available for, for any of the seasons, we would have been in the top of the table. But look, Joffre, you know, we were in touch with him during the auction afterwards. We tried our best to get him back, but Mumbai has saved a lot of purse to secure him. So um, him and Boomer is going to be a scary, scary proposition to face. Um, but, you know, for now, we're just we're still helping as much as we can with his sort of progression to full fitness and looking forward to seeing him back on the cricket field. And Ben, again, he's you know taken time off from the IPL to, to get himself fully in shape for the for the test summer. And hopefully, you know, never know, Ben could be back with us in the future. But both are incredible people. They've given so much to this franchise and, and they'll be always part of our, our family, whatever happens. You bought four players in the last kind of couple of minutes uh, at the auction. And, you know, there were, again, you refer to social media. There were lots of people saying, what are the Royals doing? They've only got four overseas players and the auction's about to finish. But then the players you did buy, it looked more like a cunning plot than a miscalculation. Yeah, I think that there's quite a few people who maybe hadn't seen a mega auction before. So we knew in the accelerated round, you would give 10 names, then five names, then five names. So our strategy was just to hold these players back as long as possible, let the other franchises fill up their spots, and then we could secure them all at base price rather than any team getting tempted to, to bid on one of them. Um, so it was part of the plan. Um, thankfully, it worked out. You never know. Even when you wait that long, someone can still bid against you. But thankfully, we, you know, they all play really crucial roles within the setup and we're happy to get that quality on board. Jake, so much of the world's attention um, is focused on the overseas players and, you know, all the storylines of the big players who, who weren't signed and guys like Adil Rashid and, well, there are, there are many of them, Owen Morgan. But the reality is that, you know, there are seven Indians in every team and they win more games than the overseas players. It's almost like the overseas contingent is a bit of a dis distraction. I wouldn't say a, a distraction. I think the, the players work really well together to win a championship. You need, you need strong in both areas. I think you're right in saying you need a strong Indian core, which is what we've, we've secured. I think for the last four years, when we because the 2018 auction, we weren't able to do that. Um, finally, we have now. So, you know, the seven Indians in our lineup are, are all really high quality and, and the overseas going with them are, are world-class individuals. So, you know, Joss Butler, I just love the combinations of Joss Butler playing with a Yashasvi Jaiswal, a Padakal and a Sanju coming next, then a Hetmeyer. It's, it's explosive, it's entertainment and, and I think it's a combination that's going to help us win and the majority of matches this season. Concerns about Hetmeyer's fitness? No, we've been speaking to the West Indies um, set up and, and we've obviously got the Barbados Royals as well. So, we're working closely with them. And then, you know, he was playing a match last weekend um, and we'll be making sure he's fit for the season. There's so much data analysis. I mean, it's mind boggling. Uh, it's one of the great burgeoning businesses of, of T20 cricket, the data analysis. And, it, you know, it's almost, I, I, I don't know, is there room for personality still, Dim? Do you, when you, in your decision-making and in, in your, your bids on players, does personality and character come into it at all? So I think firstly, on the analytics side, I think there's still a long way to go. Um, if you look at baseball and, and other sports around the world, I honestly think they're five to 10 years ahead of us. So we've still got a long way to go and we're investing a lot in that area to catch up. On the personality point, look, from our perspective, if there's two players of exactly the same quality and one's a better personality, then yes, we'll, we'll sign them. I think if a player is a very bad personality, um, that may prevent us from purchasing them, especially if there's other quality around. Um, but we'll never sign an under underqualified player just because they're a great person. Um, I think on-field performance is our number one strategic imperative. We need players who help us win the most amount of matches, um, and so that's the priority. And finally, um, it's quite a brutal dehumanising process, or can be. Um, you know, the, there are, I mentioned some of those players who, who've gone unsold, and, you know, you've got Jason Roy going for, for £200,000, and... It, I don't know whether he looks at some other opening batsman and thinks, are they really five times better than me? Uh, I mean, it can be make players feel a bit insecure. Well, I think the, the positives of the auction are it creates a really competitive league. 
Um, there's always going to be some players that benefit and some players that don't, even within the same lot. If you come out first, it will impact versus coming out last, depending on how the franchises have gone. So I think players understand that broadly and, and we communicate that to them. Um, and, and, and generally they, they're supportive of the process and they're excited to, to play in the league. Um, I think some players often put a base price too high in the IPL auction, which means they struggle to get that initial bid. Once you get the initial bid, um, you then got two franchises competing and it can escalate. So Liam Livingston, for example, put his base price at one crore. Um, whereas we knew he was going to get some, some attention, but that again, brought in multiple franchises into the thinking because there are 10 teams, because the supply was lower, any two core players, it was actually more challenging, um, to sort of fit them into your plans, especially if they're backups in the setup. Um, and so I think there is a, there's a bit of control from, from the player side that, that they can help with the process. Um, but overall, everyone's the same in our setup, whether you're earning 10 crores or one crore or 20 lakhs and, and that's why I think players love coming back to us because you know, everyone is equal, um, and and that's why it's such a great environment. So, what are the aims for the for the Royals this year? Obviously, <laughs> I don't. You're going to say yeah, we would like to win it, but I mean, you're going through a rebuilding phase in in many ways. I guess everyone's rebuilt, but it has been a tough couple of years for the Royals, hasn't it? Yeah, we've openly we've underperformed for the last three years. Um, yes, we had injury and availability challenges, but again, we had to learn from those. And if you look at who we've signed, again, we've got that strong Indian core, you know, are fully available. The overseas players we've signed are fully available. Um, we want to be finishing in the top two of the league. Top two gives you a significantly higher percentage chance of making the final because you skip that qualifying round. Um, and then you've got a good chance of winning it. So um, that's what we're aiming to do. We want to be at, at the top of the table come the end of the season. Um, and, and hopefully we can achieve that. Give us a snapshot of your job and how big the franchise is and, and uh, you know, how many how many people are employed? Because we just get to see the tip of the iceberg, I'm guessing. Yeah, I think the question's always asked. The season's only two, three months long. What's going on for the rest of it? And there, there is a huge amount. I think different franchises have smaller teams. We've got 40 people working full time just on the business side. Cricket side, there's another 40 people. So it's a, it's a big operation. Um, we've, we've got a, we've launched an online education business. We've got an academies business. We've got our sponsor engagement year round, our digital engagement. We create content with the players. Um, so there's a, there's a huge amount going on. Um, we're looking at lots of different new ventures. We've, we've got an amazing platform to engage fans and, and create commercial elements within the business. Um, but also, always there's an element of giving back. So our online education business, we've got 10 different courses, digital marketing, sports management, team management. And what we do is for all IPL players, we offer the courses for free. Um, so again, once they're towards the end of their career, they can invest in themselves and potentially um, shift into that space. Otherwise, obviously, it's a commercial entity. So there's, there's a lot going on. Um, it's an amazing job because you know, we're leading the way in cricket around the world. And I'm trying to get us as a franchise to catch up with the teams in you know, the Premier League teams and NFL teams and other teams around the world. So in the future, they're looking at us to say, wow, how did the Royals achieve this? What can we learn from them? So that's my aim for, for the franchise. Aim big. Jake, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. We wish you the very, very best uh, for the season. Do you know where it's being played, by the way? Is it in India? Yeah. <laughs> we asked the question before the auction. They said it's definitely in India, but they're, they're waiting to confirm if it's in one location or in multi-location. So they've told us they'll tell us, I think, by the 22nd, so within the next week. Um, so we're just waiting for that clarity. Thank you once again, Jake. Good luck for the season. Yes, no. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. That was Jake Lushmacrum, Rajasthan Royals Chief Executive. And it's time now for the Breaking the Boundaries feature with the Institute of Cricket. Breaking Boundaries on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, you need to train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com. Right, delighted to say that we are now joined a week late because he was busy last week by the Managing Director of the Institute of Cricket. And I suspect, uh, David Smith, you've been uh, busy because it's February half term coming up and uh, that is a busy time pre-season. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, everybody's very excited for the season kicking off and, you know, everyone's just trying to get their their playing schedules and training schedules together for the, you know, the season kicking off. But yeah, we've been very busy. Uh, there's some of our venues have actually got half term at the moment uh, and some half terms take place next week. So a little bit of a split across the two weeks, but um, but yeah, very busy. 
David, I'm delighted to tell you, if you didn't know already, that the Cricket Collective is uh, growing exponentially. We're getting thousands of uh, new listeners each week. So how about a little recap for those who are listening um, who don't know about the Institute of Cricket? Yeah, sure. So the Institute of Cricket is a is a, another part of uh, a wider business called Complete Cricket. Um, so the Institute of Cricket is very specialist in terms of the coaching that it offers. Uh, for players uh, that are looking to go down the professional cricket coaching, uh, cricket playing route, should I say. Uh, we offer uh, camps uh, during every holiday period uh, for elite players. We also offer a spe- you know specific coaching for players that are focusing on fast bowling, wicket keeping, spin bowling and, and batting, um, as well as offering high level masterclasses with lots of different players um, who have played international cricket. Uh, we recently held one with, uh, with Dom Sibley a couple of weeks back. So that was really successful. And that's interesting because we've had Jonathan Trott talking about Tom Sibley as a, a player who took five months off from international cricket to hopefully get himself back into form for international cricket. What sort of stuff was he talking to about the kids about? Because you know, having, having an international opening batsman coming to talk to 14, 15, 16-year-olds must be special. Yeah, I mean, it was a very, it was really well attended. Dom's a lovely guy. He seemed, he seemed really refreshed as well. Having spoke to him for quite a period of time, he was, you know, looking forward to the season starting. But the focus for the masterclass was Red Bull skills. And we, we'd actually set it up as Red Bull skills to coincide with the Ashes. But obviously, with everything that was in the news and the press about the techniques of the batsman, it actually timed, it was timed really well. And that was, we were talking about, you know, leaving the ball well, having a solid defence, you know, being selective and, you know, it was uh, it was really well received actually by the players and and just reinforces how important that fundamental technique is. And you, you talk about the, the, the half term, it's split over sort of two week period. Are you as busy for both weeks and what specific skills are you looking to go on? I'll, you know, from my example, I've been in New Yorkshire and I look at some of the fast bowlers and they're ready to go. They've gone through the gears, they're ready to go. But unfortunately, there's another month or so before they can really get outside. Is it is it hard to rein kids in as well? Absolutely, yeah. No, it's. I think as soon as you get into the light of nights, it's the season is is you know rapidly approaching, and it, like you say, you sort of feel that some of these players have been training pretty much since the season finished. So we've we've had quite a long winter period already. They're itching to go and itching to get out there on grass and start bowling, you know, properly. So you know, yeah, it is tough, but you know, it's just trying to continue to ha- enhance the the areas of their game that they maybe struggle with a little bit more, and 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 try and keep them fit and and not doing you know not overloading their bodies too much at the moment. David, just finally, to those who who say that um, the the future of red ball cricket is bleak because kids just want to play T20 and they want to play white ball cricket. Can you can you offer them any reassurance? I mean, do you see an appetite amongst teenagers to, who love the game to to play orthodox red ball cricket? Yeah, definitely. And, and I said I've said it before that the white ball batting skills are the the skills that introduce players into the game. That's where you get players that want to come in and practice all the the scoops and the hitting for you know hitting the ball for six and all the all the fancy skills are where you introduce the younger players into the game. But then you have to have a reset. And you have to make sure that they have the other skills fundamentally, because if they don't have the fundamental batting skills, they're not going to be able to do the, the fancier skills when it comes to facing better bowlers anyway. You know, so I do see a massive appetite for players to want to come in and play, you know, red ball cricket and hopefully, you know, go on and, and play all forms of cricket, not just be so dedicated to playing white ball, be able to, you know, play three forms of cricket and uh, be, be happy to do that. So, so, yeah, that's very much our focus anyway. David, on behalf of the Cricket Collective and of parents of cricket-mad children throughout the country, I'd like to say a big thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. (laughs) That was the Breaking the Boundaries feature with the Institute of Cricket. Breaking Boundaries on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, you need to train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com. Right, a couple of minutes left, uh, Harmi, to, to wrap up other stories um, from around England or around the world that have uh, caught your eye. Let me kick you off with one that uh, has been right under your nose because um, you're still coaching at Yorkshire. And they've had their um, international ban, I think, provisionally lifted, provided that uh, they meet uh, certain criteria. So that's that's got to be a massive sense of relief around the place, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think that's good news for obviously Lord Patel, who's been pushing it along with obviously Darren Darren Goff, the director of cricket, and I think it would be a huge blow on budgets and keeping players in employment if they lost the international cricket, uh, the, the international cricket at at Headingley. It's a t- it's a tough one because I think you've got to look at the two incidents in in individually when Durham got punished. Durham got we are badly beaten up by the ECB over financial problems. This is different. I don't think anybody they should do. They should neither of them should have lost their international status because that's the financial reward to get to rebuild the to rebuild the county and make sure that the county works in such a way where this trust comes back in and that's what Yorkshire need at this minute in time. I do think they should be punished. I do think there should be sanctions on whether it's their their 50 over 20 over competitions or even potentially losing the northern superchargers to to Durham and have it have have them play their home games there. Um but international cricket is needed at Headingley because Yorkshire need to rebuild the trust in the community and the community needs that needs funding. And I think that gets funded off the money that the international game brings to 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 Head and Lee. So I think the right course, right action has has done. Don't think it's over yet, but I think because international cricket will be played at Yorkshire next year, financially, you know, Yorkshire can rebuild the trust in the community, which is badly needed at this minute in time. Talking of Northern Superchargers, James Foster has been appointed as uh, head coach. He's a man who commands no shortage of respect, isn't he? Brilliant. I'm over the moon for Fuzzy. He's a great guy. He's worked a lot in, you know, the underneath the system, in in sort of England and stuff like that. Um, the one thing that we've all, me and Darren Goff from Talksport, have been shouting and very vocal and of our opinion on when the hundred was announced. We had no English coaches, no English coaches. For me, that's a disgrace. There are some fine coaches in England. There's some great leaders. Um, there's some good good men who could could lead these you know, these franchises and to have outside coaches coming in, I think is is wrong. I don't mind the likes of Andy Flower who have been in the system, who have coached England and been around a while, but coaches that just pop in for six weeks, eight weeks a year, have no affiliation whatsoever with a game of cricket in England. I'm dead against that, but it's great to see one of your own get a job and a, a top job uh, in the hundred, and that's that's what Fozzie's done at Northern Superchargers. And fingers crossed, um, you'll see. Will I know for a fact you will surround yourself with good men, um, and with the likes of Ben Stokes there, and, and one or two others, they'll have a good tournament in the hundred this year coming up. We've only got one minute left, and I've got two items, so I really need a short answer from this one. Amazing, with well, there's a two-test series between South Africa and New Zealand about to start. New Zealand have won four out of forty-five tests. South Africa's the only major nation they have never beaten in a test series. Uh, and it goes on and on. They've played 12 times since South Africa's readmission to international cricket in 92. They've lost 11 of them. It's the most astonishingly one-sided record, home and away. So who are you picking? I'm gonna actually going to pick South Africa. I think South Africa are turning a corner under Mark Boucher and Temba Bavuma. I just got a funny feeling that South Africa are going to do what South Africa do quite regular, which is when they get into a point of strength and two steps forward, they tend to run three steps back. So hopefully, hopefully that that run continues. I think they're playing some good cricket under under Bavuma as well as Mark Boucher. So I'm going to back South Africa in that one, even against the World Test Champions. I'm picking New Zealand. Well, I'll, I'll, <laughs> bet you, I'll put a pint on it. I'll put a pint on it. All right. And finally, did you see Mitchell Stark's delivery in the uh, third T20 against Sri Lanka? I did. I, I did. It made mine look like a straight ball, didn't it? Exactly. Um, exactly. You now no longer own the widest ball in international cricket. Uh, no, I don't. And it's great to see. Um, but uh, he's, he, he didn't, ha- it didn't happen very first ball of a competition, which has <laughs> beamed millions of people around the world. So it'll get hidden and it'll get... He's the one side. It'll not be the most embarrassing, not by any stretch of the imagination, but it does tell you that it happens to the best of us. 
<laughs> okay, a reminder on the subject of three T of the T20s, you can uh, hear the series between India and the West Indies live and exclusive here on Talksport Two, starting on Wednesday. So thanks uh, again, uh, once again, Harmi. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison and if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up you can download the podcast from the following on feed now available as always via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts we'll be back at the same time next week for more of the biggest stories this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 Hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.